Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. We're going to do last one on the God I Wish You Knew today. Next week is Mother's Day, and we're going to have a bunch of the kids with us, actually. We're going to do a family Sunday. And, uh, and so grade fives and up, we're still going to have the little ones out there because we don't want them in here, but, um, <laughs> but grade five and up, we're going to have kind of a family Sunday. So we'll do a family message of some sort next week, but we'll do the last one in the God I Wish You Knew. Uh, and we're going to talk, so far we've talked about the God who, he, he's the one who delivers us. Uh, he's, he is faithful. He is gentle and lowly of heart. It's amazing how some of these characteristics all come together. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at he is near, the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're the temple and uh, the fellowship we can have with the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to finish off this series by uh, the God I wish you knew. He's the God who changes lives. And uh, he changes the lives of our loved ones when we pray for them. And he also can change our lives wherever we're at. And so let's pray. And then we're going to get into Mark chapter 5. And it's a story of the man with, who is demon-possessed with uh, so many demons. They were called legion. And uh, we're going to look at the God who changes lives. Thank you, Jesus that you change lives. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing through us in Uganda, as we learned about at the prayer summit this last week, for what you're doing through us in church renewal. Thank you for the wonderful you know, message and encouragement we had from John Berrigan last week. There's just so much to be thankful for here in this church body. And, and Lord, Jesus, I just want to just thank you today that you are the God who changes lives. And so we all need changing. We can be thankful for the changes you have done in our lives and we all need more changes, and so we're just thankful that you are the God who changes us. Pray that you would bless our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and uh, this is right after uh, they've just gotten out of the boat. They've just come across uh, the Sea of Galilee, and there was waves. There was that whole story. That would be a fun one to do sometime too. But now they get to the other side of the sea, okay? So verse 1, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And I just, that word immediately just grabbed me this week. Immediately, wherever Jesus went, wherever Jesus went, he was immediately met by people who were broken and who needed help. I mean, he was just a magnet for it. I mean, they come through this storm. How, how, did, how does this demon-possessed guy know that Jesus is coming there? Jesus wasn't sending out an itinerary. There wasn't a Facebook page with updates. I'm going to be in such and such a place, all that sort of thing. And yet, wherever he went, it was people with physical issues, mental issues, emotional issues, demon issues, relationship issues. Wherever Jesus went throughout the Gospels, immediately, wherever he went, he just attracted people. Uh, how did he do that? How did people know? Why did they go to him? How did they know he was coming there? Uh, I mean, part of it is, I mean, he's God in the flesh. He's the God of the universe. And so I think he's drawing people to himself, first of all. I think, he, you know, I imagine him sitting in that boat during that whole storm thing, and he's sleeping. Um, but really, he's got kind of one eye open, and he's uh, thinking to himself, oh, I'm going to heal that demon-possessed guy in the Gerasenes. And because he, he's God of the universe, he can just manipulate things and sovereignly bend all things to his will. And so even while he's on the lake, he's drawing this guy down to the seashore because he wants to touch him. And so I think that's certainly part of it, is God just drawing in people who need him, people who are broken. Uh, part of it, too, is just, I mean, people who are broken and desperate just want him. People who aren't desperate for Jesus, that's still true today. And even in our lives from time to time, isn't it true? When we're not desperate, often we're not pushing into Jesus. But when we're desperate, it's like, oh, Jesus, right? 
And these people were the same thing. There was something about him, his power, and just the fact, I mean, he's the God of the universe. There's something in us that just craves him. It's the way he made us. But everywhere he went, he was a magnet. He was an absolute magnet for broken, needy, hurting people. And you know, the interesting thing about that uh, thing I think that applies to us today and why is this a big deal to us today? It's not just something that we look back on in the Gospels and go, oh, that's neat. Jesus attracted broken, needy people. Uh, since Jesus went back to heaven and we have the Holy Spirit, Paul says the church is now the body of Christ, right? And so in the same way, in the same way that Jesus, while he was here on earth, was a magnet for broken, needy, hurting people, in the same way today, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. We should be a magnet for broken, needy, hurting people. Okay? Now, unfortunately, many of our churches are not that way. I think, I, and certainly we don't have it all together here at Southland. I hope we're growing in that. But you look at some of the things that we're doing here, I thank God for four wins, places like that. But the more that people see the power, one of the things they were attracted to in Jesus was he had the power to set them free. When there's a church where people's lives are actually being changed, that church will attract broken, needy, hurting people. And it'll be messy, but it'll be wonderful, and that's what we're supposed to do. It's a big part of what we're supposed to be doing. And a church that is operating under the power of God is going to be messy. And that's, again, one of the things I love about this church. We're not there yet, but I think that's the direction we want to go, right? It's the direction we want to go. We want to be a, a place where the power of God is at work and where there's testimonies and lives are being changed. And the more that happens and the more people are delivered of their junk, and the more people are set free and the more we're growing in Christ, the more we're going to attract these kinds of people that maybe they're annoying uh, sometimes to us or whatever, but we're going to attract broken, needy, hurting people just like Jesus did, and that's awesome. But anyway, let's keep reading here. Verse 3. He lived, the demon-possessed man, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had any strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, so again, this, this is important. This is serious, what this guy is struggling with. I mean, we would have had this guy in a, in a mental hospital, no doubt, and sedated, okay? I mean, he was fully demonized, but we would have, we would have uh, diagnosed him with every mental and emotional uh, disorder known to man. He's cutting himself. He's insane with despair, fear, violence. Uh, you know, deep, deep problems. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Okay, so the demons are talking through him here. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, the demons, begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And so I just have to stop here for just a little bit. It's a bit of a rabbit trail on the, on, uh, on the message. But one of the things I love about the Bible is this is just not a safe book. It is got many things in here that you go, what? Um, so I'm reading this story this week, and I've thought about this story many times before. But first of all, why are demons? I mean, again, this, this book is not, it's not uh, a, a library book. This book is from God, and it opens up our eyes to a bigger realm. There's this other realm out there, this whole spiritual realm that intersects with our physical world, and it's not all neat and tidy. It doesn't answer all of our, all of our questions. In fact, often when we're reading the Bible, it raises more questions. 
But there's things going on here. First of all, why do demons, why are these demons so desperate to be in a body? Like what? And I don't know. You're saying, oh, some of you are leaning forward because he's going to give us the answer. I don't know. (laughs) It's a question I have. I read this story. I mean, I think of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 24 to 26, says this. He's talking about demons again. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to the house from which I came. So Jesus talks about demons and he says, when they go out of a person, it's like they're, it's a horrible thing for them not to be in a body. And so they go through waterless places seeking rest, and then they're like, I got to go back. And so they go back to the person, you know, assuming it hasn't been filled with the Holy Spirit or something, or it hasn't been filled with good stuff again, but they go back to the person. If it's empty, they just go back there, and, it's, and he says here in his passage, it's seven times worse. But why do demons need to do this? I don't know. Again, our eyes are being opened, but it's a reality. It's true. These are true things. But these are some sort of creature. Are they angels? A lot of people just think of them as angels. Uh, you know, in the Bible, when we read about angels, angels seem to be uh, content in their, the bodies that they have. Uh, Satan, um, you know, seems to be okay without having to inhabit bodies. So what are demons? I don't know. They're creatures, but there's this whole other world out there. They affect, uh, they affect our world. The second thing that blows me away about this story as we're reading this is that the demons have the audacity to ask Jesus for something. Like, you're a demon. And they have the audacity to pray. Can you please send us into the pigs over there? And what blows me away even more about this story is, he answers their prayer. <laughs> now again, theologically, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to explain that to you. Um, that, that Jesus answers the demon's prayer. But here's what I do know. It should encourage us. If those demons have the audacity to ask Jesus for something, and he answers their prayer, how much more us? Right? I mean, these demons don't want to be tormented ahead of their time. Ultimately, Jesus is the creator of all things. I just see his mercy here. I mean, these are demons who are going to spend all, they're going to spend all of eternity in hell, uh, forever and ever. And yet Jesus, as the creator of all things, he didn't make things to be bad. They, some, whatever they are, they went bad at some point. And him and his mercy is like, well, I don't need to torment you more than necessary before your time. They ask him a request, and in his mercy as a creator, he answers the request. And I just think to myself, wow, how much more us, his sons and daughters, should we not be going to Jesus about everything? Is that not true? If he has mercy even on demons, how could we dare to not bring all of our stuff to Jesus gladly and with confidence and say, Jesus, I need help. I need help. So there's questions there, but let's keep moving on before the questions drive us crazy. Verse 13, continuing on. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And this next part actually just raised more questions. But in, in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So you have this whole thing. They asked you to send them in the pigs. They don't have to go out into waterless places. And then they kill the pigs. Um, but whatever, okay? Verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The God who changes lives. I mean, this is a guy, if ever there was a hopeless case, this guy was a hopeless case. And we all know people, right? And some of us feel like we're the hopeless cases. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're the hopeless case. Or maybe you're here today and it's a family member. And it's been years and years and years and years of deep whatever, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical problems. And you just feel like hopeless case. If ever there was a hopeless case, this guy's a hopeless case. But what I love about this story is Jesus sets up a meeting, a divine appointment with a hopeless case. It was his decision. He's the one who looked for it. He's the one who went and found it. And then he found the hopeless case. 
And he has one encounter with Jesus, and at the end of it, this guy who would have been hopeless to all hopeless in every single psychological, physiological way, this guy, one encounter with Jesus, and he's sitting at peace at Jesus' feet in his right mind. In his right mind. I love it. He's a God who changes lives. It's the work of Jesus. It's what he loves to do. It's not even what he was begged to do. He just did this on his own. It's who he is. It's part of his character. He loves to change lives. And there's two things I want us to take out of that this morning. First of all, hope for our loved ones. Hope for our loved ones. If Jesus can save a guy, if first of all, if Jesus wants to save a guy like this, nobody, nobody was praying for this guy. This guy didn't ask to be set free. Okay, The disciples weren't interceding for him. Jesus set up the appointment Jesus met him, and Jesus set him free anyway. It's because Jesus initiated it and wanted it. If Jesus did that for this guy, there isn't any one of your loved ones that he doesn't want to do this for as well, or that he can't do this for. But it's not going to happen through our arguing or guilt-tripping or stuff like that. What people need, the, the key here is this guy had, had an encounter with Jesus. That's what he had. I want you to notice that. I mean, sometimes in our good intentions... We're trying to change our loved ones through guilt-tripping, through arguing, through debating, through good advice. I want you to notice that this man was not set free of his, of his stuff by good advice. Now, I'm not a, I'm, and I'm not against good advice. Good advice has a place. I give it out liberally to my children um, and to anyone else who asks. But... Uh, Good advice has a place. You know, there's a place for wisdom. There's a place to give people good, wise advice in marriage and in parenting and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, good advice doesn't set people free. You can do all the good advice you want in the world. It doesn't set people free. The disciples didn't sit down with this guy and do 10 counseling sessions, and he got free. Again, not against counseling. There's a place for that. Not against wisdom. Not against all that. All really has its place. But that's not what delivered this guy was good advice. It's not good advice. Jesus didn't sit down and say to him, you know what you need to do? You need to work on this, and you need to start thinking this, and we need to change how you're doing your schedule, and your nutrition is really not up to it, and that's probably why you're cutting yourself at night. That's not, none of that. He has a power encounter with Jesus. He's in his right mind afterwards. These are spiritual issues, and that's why when it comes to our loved ones, it has to start with prayer. That child, that family member, that cell member, that friend, that coworker. You are not going to be able to talk to them. Yes, you need to talk to them about Jesus. Yes, you need to be a, a good witness and all those sorts of things and give answers to questions. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not against all that sort of stuff, but you're not going to change their lives by talking to them. You're not going to change their lives by convincing them. You're not going to change their lives by berating them. They need to actually meet with Jesus, which is why it has to start with prayer. If you want to see your loved ones changed, if you want to see your family changed, your kids changed, your marriage changed, it has to start with prayer because it has to start with an encounter with Jesus. They have to meet with Jesus. They have to hear his voice. They have to experience him. It's a spiritual battle. But the thing is, we can pray stories like this. We can pray with faith, knowing that this is what Jesus wants to do. I think often you say, well, what is faith? When we're praying with faith, that doesn't mean that you're praying every day feeling happy. Praying with faith means when you have faith, you, you don't give up. When you don't have faith, you give up. So you know you don't have faith for someone to be changed when you prayed for them a month and then you just gave up and you haven't prayed, really prayed for them since. But you know you have faith that someone can be changed and that God wants to change them when you keep praying for them because that's why you keep praying. 
You don't necessarily feel good all the time. But whoever it is in your life, I don't know who you're praying for who needs saving. Jesus actually wants to save them. They need an encounter with him, but someone needs to be praying for them. And it starts with us praying for them. Secondly, hope for you. It's not just hope for our loved ones. It's also hope for us ourselves. If Jesus could put this guy in his right mind, what an encouragement to me. I've gone back to this story at various points in my life in the past. Sometimes we feel like we can't escape our own brains. Isn't that true? Sometimes we feel like we can't escape our own thought patterns. I'll never get out of this way of thinking. I'll never be able to escape this. I'll never be free of this. We have that feeling sometimes. How can I ever change? How can I ever start feeling different? How can I ever start responding different? How can I ever start, you know, start thinking different? Sometimes we feel despair about our own selves and our thought processes and our brains. And this guy, this is encouragement in Mark 5. Because if Jesus could deliver and change this guy's life he, and his brain, and this guy was so messed up, he can go to the deepest parts of your brain, to the deepest parts of your heart, the places where those deepest lies and feelings and problems are that make you struggle. Things that you've struggled with all your life for many years, you can't imagine being set free of it. You can't imagine being set free of lust. You can't imagine being set free of that eating disorder. You can't be, uh, you know, imagine being set free of that attraction or whatever it is that you can't imagine being set free of it because you've had it for years and it goes so deep down. If Jesus can get this guy who for years was running around insane, cutting himself, crying out, couldn't be bound with chains, if he can heal that, he can go to the deepest parts of your brain. He can go to the very deepest, deepest, deepest parts of who you are and he can touch those parts and he can change them. And he can change them. It's amazing. In fact, it's what, not only is this what he can do, it is what he wants to do. If we bring Romans 8 verse 29 into this, Romans 8 verse 28 is that very famous verse that he turns all things for good, all things for good for those who love him. But we often stop before the next verse, which is really actually amazing, awesome as well. Verse 29, the very next verse is this. For those whom he foreknew, okay, so... Um, we all have a chance to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. Every human being on earth has a chance to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. The amazing thing about Jesus, the God of the universe, is because he knows the future, he knows in advance who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. He lets us freely choose, but he knows in advance who's going to freely choose and who's not. Those he sees in advance, that's he, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He also predestined, like it's set in stone. He saw, you know, you, 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 and you, and you. And he said, I see that that person's going to say yes to me. And so I already have predestined. I have a plan for them that because I know in advance that they're going to say yes to me, I'm going to make a plan in advance even before they say yes to me as to how I'm going to do what. Let's go to the next. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is, this is one of those promises that a lot of people just read over and yawn and keep going to the rest of Romans 8, which is an amazing chapter and lots of promises and God loves us and he'll never leave us or forsake us or let us go. But this promise in 829 is amazing. It's incredible. He knew in advance that you would say yes to him and as a result, he predestined, he guaranteed it. Anybody who's going to walk with him and say yes to him and not be hard to him, he says, I have predestined it. It's set in stone that I'm going to make them like Jesus. Not like Jesus in the sense that they're a God, Okay, we're not getting new agey here. Not in the sense that he's going to make you so you're God and people worship you and all sorts of stuff. But in your character, he's going to make you Christ-like. He's going to make you Christ-like. And if you are a person who says yes to him and is not resisting him, but has given him a yes, not just once, I asked him into my heart once, but who is, 
who is throughout your life living your life in a way that you are saying yes to Jesus, that you are following him and submitting to him, then it is set in stone. Anyone who says yes to him and gives him that yes, he is going to turn you into Jesus in your character. Not, again, not as a God. Don't hear me saying the wrong thing here. But in your character. Man, isn't that what we all want? Really? Deep down? I mean, some of you haven't thought of it that way. But can you imagine the heaven inside? If you could be at peace like Jesus, if you could love God like Jesus, if you could love people like Jesus, if you could have joy like Jesus, if you could be calm in the middle of a storm like Jesus, I mean, that's heaven to be Christ-like on the inside, to be pure, to be true, to be righteous on the inside. That is incredible. He has predestined that for us. Anybody who said yes to him, continue to say yes to him. Now, of course, part of this here is it's not always overnight, right? I mean, this guy, we read the story in Mark chapter 5, it's like, I want it that quick, right? Like, one encounter with Jesus, boom, okay? Well, it, Jesus' prerogative, okay? First of all, he wanted to put a story in here in the Bible of, of healing, so he couldn't make it the 10-year story, okay? He just, I mean, he's showing off here for all of us, okay? The power's not any less. He decides whether it's a longer trail or whether it's a shorter trail, but it is predestined, and... Unfortunately, there is sometimes spankings along the way. <laughs> Wildernesses, that sort of thing. But you can just trust, as long as I'm saying yes to him, I'm on this path, it's predestined, he's going to make me like him. He's going to do it. So that's exciting. That can encourage us when we're in the spankings in the wildernesses. But it's going to happen, it's predestined to happen. But we can still take uh, take comfort from this Mark 5 story. The Mark 5 story does not tell us that everything in your life is always going to be healed instantly in one encounter. Often, usually, he will do it in, in relationship over a long period of time. But what the Mark 5 thing is, he just squished it all down into one just to show us what he can do. It's still encouraging. What he did to the, to the demon-possessed guy is what he wants to do in each and every single one of us here. It's just often it's played out over a little bit of a longer time. But if we say yes to him, he will do it. He will do it. And I think that should be super encouraging to all of us. In fact, uh, one of the things I often run into people, and, and not just run into people, I, I deal with this. But sometimes we are looking in life for purpose. What's my purpose in life? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's the point? Uh, what does God have me here for? And usually when we ask that question, we're looking for something to do. And for, and, and of course, that's not all bad because God does have us here for good works. Every single one of us, it says in Ephesians, he's got us here for good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. He's given each of us talents and abilities. And so yes, there certainly is an element to us being on earth here. He has something, he has tasks for us to do. But let me just tell you something. Actually, the biggest purpose in your life is not all these tasks. There's an even bigger purpose that Jesus has for you and why, why, why you're here, and that is exactly because he wants to make you Christ-like. See, he's got a long-term picture. He does, first of all, he doesn't need any of us. I mean, yes, part of why we're here, he gives us talents and gifts. Part of why we're here is we've got tasks to do. We've got things to serve. Not even a question. I'm not, I'm not denying that. Okay, but we think it's all about the tasks, but we have to stop and think. Um, any one of us here dies or all of us dies, the kingdom of God doesn't end. Because he doesn't need me. He did, if, I mean, if I just collapse up here on stage, it's fine. Uh, be a little weird for everybody, the service. They'll come up and play the last worship song, and, and the kingdom of God will go on. 
Okay? It, it'll be fine. It'll just be fine. And the kingdom of God will go on without Chris Dirksen. Can you imagine? I know it's hard for some of you to believe. <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He can do it. Okay? So yes, there's tasks, and he made us do tasks, but actually, you want to know a huge, big part of your purpose here on earth. It's not what you do, it's who you become. And he's thinking of eternity, and what he's doing is he wants a masterpiece. See, we read that Ephesians 2.10 passage as, we're already a masterpiece. Well, there is a sense in which each one of us, from the time we're born, the physical bodies we're born with, and the souls and gifts and talents and so forth, there is a, there is a sense in which we're a mas- where each of us human beings is a masterpiece from birth. But there's an even bigger work that Jesus is doing. He's turning you into a real masterpiece. He's taking people that are selfish and hard and apathetic and self-centered and lustful and angry and anxious and all these things, and he's molding us into something for all of eternity. He's molding us into, some, into people like Jesus, each of us with our own unique talents and abilities, but each of us in character like Jesus, expressing the character of Jesus in different ways, molding us into loving, humble, persevering, godly, joyful, cheerful, wonderful people. And when you're around people like that, you and I all know it's, it's like, wow, I like to be around people like that. They're actually rare. Even in the church, they're rare. Because they aren't made overnight. You're not, you're not that kind of a masterpiece just by asking Jesus into your heart. There's this process, just like the demon-possessed man. There's a before, there's an after. As he's working us, putting us in the fire, loving us, changing us, delivering us, he's making us Christ-like. And that goal, that character is, is Peter said, is worth more to God than gold. And he's, he's, he's doing this work of masterpiece in you for all of eternity. He's creating pieces of art for all of eternity, and his pieces of art are us. And so a big part of your purpose here on earth, sometimes you think, I don't feel like I'm doing great things for God. Just let him change you. Just let him change you. Let him deliver you of your stuff. That is plenty of purpose for this life. Now, the amazing thing is, too, the more that you let him change you, the more you'll just automatically end up doing stuff for his kingdom. I mean, it just, when, when you just begin to let him deliver you, you look at this guy. I mean, if we just keep going here, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go anywhere special. You don't have to do anything special to do ministry. If you just are changed by Jesus in the place where you are at, you will already advance the kingdom of God. Because that's actually what the kingdom of God is, by the way. It's changed lives. The kingdom of God is not a building. We like the building, but only so much as it helps us to see people's lives change. The kingdom of God is not a building. The kingdom of God is not even just a group of people getting together. It's not services. The kingdom of God is changed lives. And so even this guy, this demon-possessed guy, he gets radically changed. He gets radically changed. He goes from nuts to in his right mind and his first thought is, I'm gonna, I, I gotta change, I gotta do ministry, I gotta follow Jesus. And I want you to see what Jesus tells him. You don't have to go anywhere to do ministry for Jesus. Look what Jesus says to him. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that my, he might be with them. He's like, I mean, now I've been changed. I gotta have purpose in life. I gotta follow you now and, and do ministry with you. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home. Go home to your friends and tell them 
how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus says, you don't need to get a new job. You don't need to go to a new place in order to do great things for God. You just need to be changed by Jesus in the place where you're at and that is already expanding the kingdom. Go home, he says, go home. Go home. You don't have to look for something different. You don't look for something more exciting. You don't have to look for something bigger. And of course, obviously, Jesus calls people and sends people out. Even now, what we're seeing here at Southland and, you know, Uganda and doing different things, he's calling us and certain people are called to full-time ministry and to leave stuff. No question. There is that calling and certain people are called to it. But the default position for most believers around the world is you have to go somewhere. You don't have to start something new. Just be changed in the place where God has you. Paul says this in First. Corinthians 7, 17 to 24, he says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. That, that's actually a profound statement right there. We often get restless out of self-guilt and condemnation. I need to do more for Jesus. I need to do more for Jesus. Well, when he calls you, if he calls you to go out, you go out. But in the meantime, the default position is let each person just lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Be a an agent of change. Be a change person where you are. As a business person, as a janitor, as a construction worker, as a liver of, in Steinbach, a Steinbachian or, or whatever it is. Uh, be who you are, where you are, but be changed by Jesus in that place. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not remove, seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Whew. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Okay, so that's another good one. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Because a big part of your purpose is just let Jesus make you into a masterpiece where you are. Go home. Go home, go into the family that you're in, go into the workplace that you're in, go into the neighborhood that you're already in, and just be changed by Jesus in that place, and he'll expand the kingdom of God there around you and in you. And again, like I said before, the amazing thing is the more we get this, the more ministry happens if we would just become changed people, if we would just get delivered of our bondage, if we would just get delivered as believers and, and, and of, of bitterness and fighting and apathy and selfishness, if we would just get delivered of this stuff and be changed into Christ-likeness and become selfless and hardworking truth-tellers who love people and just want to serve and are humble, if we would just become those people, that is the greatest catalyst for church growth and kingdom growth and kingdom expansion and renewal that there is because the kingdom of God is changed lives. Look what happens with this guy. Verse 14, Jesus changes him. He doesn't have to do anything else. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. That's free advertising, right? I mean, think about this. Jesus knows that he's only going to have a couple hours here in the garrisons. He's not going to be there long. He's not even there a full day. So he's got a couple hours. He's going to make, you know, he's going to make as much impact as he possibly can in a couple of hours here in the garrisons. So what, what does he do? Does he, does he preach a message? No. Does he pass out? Pamphlets and tracts, none of these things are bad. I mean, I'm preaching a message right now. Messages aren't bad. Church services aren't bad. Passing out pamphlets, not bad. But is this what Jesus does? No. Does he hold a worship service? No. Does he hold a crusade? No. He's got a couple hours to make impact on the Gerasenes, and then he's going to be gone, and he's never going to go back. Not in his physical body while he was here on earth. 
So what's he going to do to impact the most people he possibly can in this area? He's going to change one life. That's it. That's what he's going to do. He's not going to preach a message. He's not going to lead a worship service. He's not going to pass out pamphlets or hold an apologetics uh, you know, class or whatever. All these things are wonderful. All these things have their place. He's going to change one life. One life. And it's the greatest catalyst for, for kingdom growth, for expanding the kingdom. Just be changed. And when he's changed, the herdsmen go and they just spread it through the city and the country. You've got to come and see this guy's been radically changed. This guy's been radically changed. And they came to Jesus, verse 15, and they came to Jesus, right? One guy, I mean, a changed life is a message that doesn't stop preaching. It's just every time someone meets a person who's changed, their life is preaching a message to everybody around them. And so they came to Jesus. He changed one life, and people are coming to check it out. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Afraid of the power, and we'll touch on that in just a couple minutes. But in those who had seen it, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. They're all talking about it. They're all coming to see. They're all coming to check out Jesus. Not all of them are going to accept Jesus, but they're all at least going to come and check him out. They're all going to make a decision about Jesus because of one changed life. Now, I know what many of us are thinking here today. It's like, well, of course, that was an amazing testimony. He was demon-possessed. He was cutting himself. He was insane. I don't have an amazing testimony like that. That's what many of us in here think. I never took drugs. I was never part of a biker gang. I don't have tattoos up and down my body. I haven't been in prison. Never murdered anyone. Therefore, my testimony is boring. I just grew up in a Christian Mennonite home, and I've never really done anything bad, and I've never been in the party scene, and so therefore, my testimony is boring, and people wouldn't be drawn to, aren't drawn to Jesus through a changed life. That's not true. Those are great testimonies for videos. It's true. The, the testimony of I grew up in a, in a Christian home, and my parents always loved me, and I'm a believer, just saying it like that, that doesn't go up on video. It doesn't, they don't make movies about that. That doesn't mean it doesn't impact people's lives. See, when you're changed, there's all kinds of other things that really attract people to Jesus and really uh, push people away from Jesus that we all need to be delivered of as well. And how many of us Christians, we just go into the workplace completely miserable or lazy or bitter. We're fighting with people at work. We're fighting with our bosses. We're fighting with our employees. We're whatever. We just go into the workplace and we're selfish. We go into our families and our neighborhoods and we're selfish and we're no different than the world. And yeah, I've got a boring testimony. Yeah, and you also have a terrible testimony. But if we would just let Jesus touch the, the innermost parts of us and be filled with his vision and his love for people and start to serve and be humble and start to put others first, I mean, if we would just pay our bills, that would be a great testimony. I continue to be shocked. So I bring it up every few months in a message. I continue to be shocked how many Christians I hear don't pay their bills. I mean, you want a very, that is such an effective way to turn people off of Jesus. You say, I only do that to Christians. That's no better. I mean, that's gross. You don't pay your bills. I mean, it just gets quiet in here, eh? It's like saying the word pornography. You don't pay your bills. That is like the most effective way to turn people off of Jesus. You just want to be super effective at making someone never want to go to church. Don't pay them what you owe them. Very effective. Extremely effective. You don't have to be on drugs and be in gangs having a testimony that draws people to Jesus. You just need to be changed by Jesus. Just be changed by Jesus. 
And I get, you know, some, some of you are sitting there, you're feeling guilty, you feel like I'm hammering you, it's like bankruptcy, things happen. I, I know that there's times when it's out of our control and things happen. This isn't a guilt trip on, on stuff like that. But then there's just people who just don't pay their debts and they hide and they don't treat people like, like they would want to be treated. I talked to a guy just recently a couple weeks ago and, and he was talking to me about how when he's had trouble paying his debts, he puts, the, the, he puts you know, the pleasure stuff away. He puts the vacations on hold. He puts the other stuff on hold and he prays and he works until he can pay it off before he starts doing fun stuff again. I thought, that's integrity. That says something about Jesus. Just be changed. Let Jesus change you. Start to, start to let, go into prayer every day. John Bergen was talking about that last week. As you begin to spend time with Jesus, you start to become like him and you start to want to love people and put other people first. And you start to have joy and cheerfulness in your life and work hard. And just being that will draw people to the kingdom. They'll talk about you because your life will preach a message and that expands the kingdom. Plus, you're allowing Jesus to do what he has wanted to do, which is turn you Christ-like. That's a big part of your purpose here on earth is to become like that. Now, of course, again, not everybody will love Jesus because we're changed. Some will turn away from him. If we look at the last verse here, it says that immediately after that in verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So it's not that being Christ-like doesn't mean that everybody's going to be happy and accepting Jesus, but it does mean that it's going to force, it's because we're in a spiritual battle. It's going to force people, they're not going to be neutral. It's going to force people to think. It's going to force people to choose. It's going to force people to go for or against. But this is how we change the world. We let Jesus change us. This is how we change the world. First, we let Jesus change us. So I have a weekly challenge for you. I got three days worth of stuff here for you. Day one. Self-examination. Starts with self-examination. Jesus wants to change you. Do I have any of the following in my life? Bitterness, unforgiveness, unpaid debts, lust, anger, gossip, selfishness, lack of contentment, dishonesty, addictions, impatience, harsh words, coarse talk, laziness, strife, or other. Just self-examination. Say, Jesus, where am I carrying these things around in my life? Just write down whatever he shows you. This is what, this is what it's about. This is actually a big part of your purpose in life is to become Christ-like. This is not a secondary thing. This is not, like we do these set-free retreats, what we used to call the encounters, and um, this next one coming up now at the end of the month is, is we're actually holding it here in the auditorium. I think we have like a few hundred people signed up already. And I hope a few hundred more sign up. Um, it's going to be the best one yet. But it's just, it's a Friday and Saturday of we just confess our sins and get right with God. This is actually not just some kind of weird Southland thing. This isn't a kind of a, you know, kind of a side thing. I have all these other important things I'm doing for God. And then they have these side thing where they do some of this confession stuff. Actually, a big part of your purpose here on earth is to become like Jesus. Confession, therefore, is a practice that is hugely key to why you are here on the earth right now. It's all about becoming more like Jesus. Confession should be a regular part of our lives. Lord, where am I not walking with you? Where am I not changed yet? I need to be delivered. I need to be set free. So just have a day. And then confession. First to God, then tell someone. First to God, that part's easy. Uh, lots of people have to confess to God. But uh, it's often then at the tell someone we don't want to tell other people. But I tell you, there's something that is released 
If you want to actually be changed, if you just want to play a game, just say it privately to God. But if you actually want to be changed, bring your sins to others. There's just something that's released. There's something about being vulnerable. There's something about being real. But we get into our cell groups. We come to set free retreats. Uh, we come into the church, whatever it is, with our friends. And we just say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is huge for actually being changed into Christ's likeness. It's huge. If you've hurt anyone, confess to that person specifically. These are very simple, basic things we've preached about many times. But if we'll do them, this is how the kingdom of God grows. It grows in us. It grows in the community. It grows in our church. Day two, inner healing. I'd encourage you. We have uh, actually inner healing sheets at the, in the entrance of the prayer room. And uh, you can just work through them. You can make an appointment with a church, a cell leader, whatever. But just work through. Just listen to Jesus. You've got stuff in your life that you've been carrying with you. And, and you say, yeah, I've done some of that inner healing stuff before. You know what? You're going to have to do it hundreds and hundreds of times before you meet Jesus. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Go to Jesus and just talk to him and say, Lord, where's this coming from? What are you saying? Talk to him. Just have a conversation in your journal. Let him touch the deepest parts of your heart, just like he touched this demon-possessed man at the deepest places of his brain and heart. This is not a one-time thing. This is not something just for really, really broken people this is for all of us. It's a continual journey of walking with Jesus. I need you to heal and deliver me of this. Lord, I'm carrying this right now. I don't know why I'm feeling this. I want to give it to you. And you listen to him. You let him touch you. You can do it in your own devotions. And then the last, last thing, on a third day, listening prayer. Jesus, what character trait do you want to work on in me next? And then just ask him to give you one or two steps to take to begin. Jesus, what character trait do you want to work on in me next? I mean, just this is, this is your purpose. This is, this is ministry. Let Jesus change you where you are. And as he changes you, you're doing what it is he has you on earth to do, which is to become like him. And then through that, he's going to attract others to him and he's going to expand the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you healed this demon-possessed man and that you can heal us of absolutely anything and everything. I pray today, Lord, so many of us, and then we just get content. Sometimes we come into church and we go on a retreat to get rid of the one or two really big things that we're dealing with, but then, Lord, we just leave the medium things, we leave the things we consider mild, and we don't pursue full 100% deliverance and healing in our lives. And I just pray, Jesus, as a church, we need to be absolutely committed to ongoing confession and seeking your face and being delivered of our stuff, to be in our right mind so that people all around in this community and in this province and in other churches around Canada, when they come here, they're going to see people sitting at your feet in their right minds. They're going to see people sitting at your feet who are full of love and cheerfulness and humility and servitude, and they're going to be attracted to you, and the kingdom of God is going to expand just by us being changed people. And I pray that you would change me. I pray that you would change all of us. I pray that as we seek you this week in confession and listening and inner healing, Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.